Hello, this is Thomas from This Week International here. I am sorry about the first 20 minutes or so of my audio. It sounds pretty terrible. If you really don't want to hear my audio because it's low quality, feel free to skip ahead till about the 21 minute mark. But if you're fine with it and you want to hear a commentary on things like Kyrgyzstan, New Zealand, then go ahead and keep listening. I don't know why my audio sounds so terrible, but it just did. But it does get better after about 21 minutes, so yeah. I promise I'll try to make sure this doesn't happen again, although I can't guarantee it because I don't actually know why it happened. But anyway, back to the podcast. another episode of This Week International. I am Andy, as always, here with my co-dictator of this podcast, Thomas. So uh, Hello. do you want to dive right into the first story? Oh, yes. So our first story comes from Kyrgyzstan. This is actually kind of a short one because we're just going to be given a small update on the Kyrgyzstan story of last week, which I'm not going to explain in detail. So... There were a lot of protests in Kyrgyzstan, and there still are protests. And they were against uh, Surin Bey and Jean Bekov, who people think was unfairly elected in kind of a weird, shady way. I mean, he did have opposition, but the opposition was also supporting him, which is kind of weird. I don't know. It'd be like having a Mike Pence run as the Democrat in this like. And saying, oh, yeah, I support Trump. It's like, then why are you running? But, yeah, it's really weird. So, Jean yeah. Beckel has resigned. And Prime Minister, um, the current Prime Minister, Sadir Zhaparov, is serving as acting president until they find a president. Now, actually, Sadir Zhaparov is new to his position as Prime Minister because the former um, Prime Minister, uh, Kubatbek Boronov, resigned on October 6th. So, you have a pretty new group of people, and apparently they have a new speaker too, Miktbek Abduldayev. So, it's a whole new group of people, and let's hope that this causes some more peace, and this brings peace to the region, because there is a bit of civil unrest, and that is not good. I do not have an update on the death count. Oh, I didn't even know there was one, so... Yeah. There, it, it's supposedly one. Which, oh, okay. But there's over a thousand injuries, so that's very... Okay. Yeah. It's like really a thousand people injured and one dead. I mean, I think it's like a Turkmenistan COVID situation, which we yeah, it's, previously. Yeah, it's a cover-up. They're, sens- they're definitely censoring those numbers. Um, yeah, it's, it's fake. Like, there's no way. Like, there are injury-to-death ratios. Like, I usually think of them depending on the way they happen as something like 10 to 1 or 20 to 1, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but 1,000 to 1, like, there's yeah. no way. Yeah, there's no I way. I would expect, not. like, 50 to be dead if there were 1,000 injuries, but there's one. But, yeah. Um, well, allegedly one. <laughs> allegedly Allegedly one. only one. Only one allegedly. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, hey, if we don't even know how many injuries there are. Right now, I have over 1,000, but I don't think I have a clear number. Well, maybe I mean, that's a thousand injured, but and then some of them died, and they just didn't have for, just decide not to add them in. So, I mean, yeah, but that's weird. Why would you do that? Like, I don't know. Well, this, I don't know. Like, if if a thousand people were injured and then they all died like a day later, would we just say, oh, a thousand injuries? Like, no, we'd say a thousand deaths. So it's very weird. Definitely yeah. a cover up there. Yeah, but that is kind of a mini story. So, do you want to get to your next story? Mine yeah. are really long. So, I mean, if you want to do, if you, I know we should have discussed this beforehand, but like, if you want to do your, like, start one of yours next, like, I mean, 
Okay. Well, I'll do the New Zealand election story. Oh yes, I was. I this is a story I've been intending to doing on this intended to do on this podcast for quite some time. But I mean, it's just you just I always found better stuff. So yeah. Yeah. So the New Zealand election happened, and the leader of the Labour Party and current Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern won in what can pretty much just be called a landslide. Yeah, that's one with about 49.1% of the vote. And to someone in America or maybe some other countries, that might actually not seem like that much, but that is a lot considering that New Zealand is a multi-party-ish system. They have two big parties and smaller parties around. Basically, they function like Europe. They function a lot like Germany. Yes. Where Germany is... Well, for a while, they had two big parties with smaller parties, although it looks like now the Greens are overtaking the uh, Social Democrats. And the there. AFD is pretty. The AFD is pretty big too, even though it's even though basic rundown of German politics, everybody versus AFD. But yeah, yeah. Um, but Jacinda Ardern won, and the notable thing about this election is that this is the first election since 1996 where they changed the way that um, they did their elections. I don't exactly know the big details about how they changed it. I don't actually think that's important here. But she won 64 seats and 61 needed for a majority. So this is the first time, again, since 1996, that there will be no coalition governments. Yeah, no, well, basically, the last coalition government happened because, like, Greens and Labor always side together. And then Winston Peters was angry that the NZ first started losing their precious seat. So uh, he decided to... uh, side with the Ardern government because he wanted to be in power because yeah but keep going so Ardern does not need a coalition she has an outright majority which is pretty crazy and we'll get into the statistics in a little bit it was the 12.21 percent swing in her direction so that's a really big swing so then the second place is Judith Collins from the National Party yeah, which the Labour is their center-left party, the Nationals their center-right party. Um, and she, her, they had 56 seats before. So actually she had more seats, or I shouldn't say she, the National Party had more seats than the Labour Party in the last election. It's just because the Labour Party was able to cobble together a coalition, Get the mostly to, um, New Zealand first. Yeah. And uh, so she lost 21 seats. Or her party lost 21 seats, and they had a 17.64 percent decrease in the popular vote. And in total, they just got, they got about 26.81 percent of the vote. So a little bit more than a quarter. And then in third place, David Seymour, Seymour, David Seymour of the yeah. ACT Party, which yes. is a classical liberal party, which uh, is basically moderate libertarianism is the best yeah. way to describe classical liberalism. Yeah. Uh, so, like, libertarianism, but without the let's not pay for roads. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, before his party had one seat, they actually gained nine seats and had a 7.48% increase. Um, sorry, a 7.48% increase in the popular vote. They now have 7.98% of the vote before they had 0.50% of the vote. So, a massive increase on their part. So they uh, should be pretty happy. <laughs> um, I'm assuming that they would probably have this sided with the National Party if Ardern didn't have a majority, but that's not really a conversation we need to talk about now because Ardern does have a majority. So in fourth, we got the Green Party. They actually have two leaders. This is something that is very common for Green Parties. In Germany, I believe they have that too. Yeah. Um, so it's James like, Shaw and Marama Davidson who are um, running the Green Party. And they had eight seats in the last election, and now they have 10, so that's a gain of two. They also gained 1.3% uh, in the popular vote, which means that their total percentage is 7.57%. So that's some solid gains there. Not much, but some. So... Um, then for the Maori party, um, they made a big comeback. Um, I don't really call it that much of a comeback. Although I don't know, 
I mean, they went I from no seats can, to one seat. Yeah, they, they went from zero seats to one seat, although they did actually decline in the popular vote. So before the last election, they had 1.18% of the popular vote. Now they have 1.01, so that's a 0.17% decline um, in total. And then the real loser of this night is Winston Peters with his New Zealand First Party, NZ First. Yes. And he lost his own seat. Yes. And all of the other seats. Before they had 7.20% of the seats. Sorry, 7.20% of the vote. They had nine seats. Um, And they had had, um, a decline of 4.54%. And they got 2.66% of the vote. And New Zealand uses a mix of almost like a kind of like an electoral college or a house of commons thing where it's like it's by district and they also i believe have some popular vote mechanism yeah. but st louis method i think yeah and you know more about that than i do yes <laughs> so it's a mix of pr and first past the post am i right yeah it's a mix of proportional representation first past the post i believe their voting system is exactly the same as germany's but i think germany actually has a five percent voting threshold making it this awkward situation where a party can get like 6% bill and get like two seats. I'm not sure about that though. I was just thinking of like the Democratic Socialist Party of Germany. And I think that's what they're called, Gabby Zimmern, but she could have also been a little bit elected on party list. Anyways, back to New Zealand. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why New Zealand first did so bad. Um, talking. To- <laughs> I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know why they did so yeah, bad. No, they did. Talking to some Redditor, some uh, folks on, well, Looking at some folks on Reddit, I actually heard Winston Peters was a genuine racist. Like, I mean, he is part Maori though, which is interesting. Yeah, no, it's towards Asian people. So, oh, towards I mean, Asians. Oh, I, I haven't heard that recently. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I heard like, why is Ardor gonna blow out? And then everybody is like, oh yeah, this was back when David Simon was his name. The whoever was like, I, or. Yeah, David Simon was the leader of the Nationals. I, should be, I, I know his last name. I know he had Simon in his name. I'm not sure who, what his first name was. But like, do you yeah, want I can... He was like, the, he was a really... I my Simon Bridges? Simon Bridges, thank you. Yeah. Like, he's like, oh yeah, he... Everybody was like, oh yeah, that guy knows nothing. And then like, David Winston Peters was a racist. And then the Greens are, have never really won a lot. And then David Seymour's, yeah. He was irrelevant until he all of a sudden wasn't. Um, yeah, and his support comes from the list seats, not the electorate yeah. seats. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that's what would happen in like, yeah. the U.S. or the U.K. That's the problem yeah. with the liberal Democrats right now. They're, uh, uh, they have a totally first pass the post system, and it's really screwing them over because <laughs> they don't have a majority in anywhere. They're very spread out. Yeah. Like once, the uh, they, they did decently well. in Scotland until the the SNP came in and basically yeah. ruined their chances there. But yeah. that's a story for a different time. Yeah. Um, so I guess another, some other interesting things is that um, rural seats, many rural seats uh, flipped blue. Sorry, they flipped red. I'm getting that. That's red is weird. labor. That, uh, red is labor and blue is the national. Although in the U.S., uh, we're the weird ones because uh, usually yeah. red is considered a left-wing color yeah. and blue is a right wing color but they flipped red and every major city except for Auckland gave their seats entirely to labor mm-hmm. and some other interesting uh, things to note is that um, Chloe Swarbrick who was famous in 2019 for the OK Boomer remark that rose her to international fame when she basically told some older politician that he was a boomer <laughs> because uh, he was trying to like shut her up about the environment or something like that. But she said that and uh, she gained fame and she won a seat um, in Auckland Central. What? Okay, that's cool. And she's part of the Green Party. She's one of the youngest uh, MPs. Or, yeah. Do they call them MPs? I even know. Uh, uh, I don't, I imagine so. I mean, like, I, th- I, th- I think they may have another name for them that's like some Maori or something term, but... Yeah, if uh, if you're in New Zealand and you're uh, listening to this, I don't think we have any New Zealand listeners. Yeah, we have Australia, so... But, I mean, yeah. 
feel free to come on the podcast and discuss this with us because uh, we would hey, we're both uh, interested in learning more so we would definitely be open to talking about this some more yeah and but yeah do you have any final thoughts on this andy uh i mean yep it's one it is mp i just googled yes into ardor and her title's mp so yeah i'm surprised how many seats david seymour gained i mean like David Seymour, like for right libertarians, that David Seymour gaining that many seats would be like just the FDP in Germany, which uses a similar voting system to third. Like I know they do that in local elections, but yeah. You know what it probably is? So New Zealand for a while had no COVID cases, but New Zealand also had a pretty hardcore lockdown. So I'm assuming because uh, right libertarians are like this in the US and UK and Canada. Um, they're very big into, oh, the lockdown is against your personal yeah. freedom. Yeah. So I'm assuming that he probably made some kind of argument and that resonated with <laughs> some people. Yeah. Likely a lot does. of, uh, likely a lot of, um, national voters, national voters, and also NZ first voters, if I was going to guess. I actually don't, yeah. I think maybe NZ first lost because they made a co and they made a, uh, yeah. agreement with Ardern. Maybe that's just my guess, like how the liberal Democrats have been so bad in 2015 when they made an agreement with, uh, the conservatives oh yeah that well, yeah because the liberal democrats are weird because they're like a left-wing pro-brexit party which is kind of yeah. who, like only who does who seems to agree with conservatives more than do liberals more than liberals but uk political parties are a story for another time so yeah we'll get into that whenever we have a reason to get into it yeah. <laughs> nourish yeah. an election who knows um anyway do you want to move on or anything uh, yes so i will take up our south america story that we collect okay. that thomas and i have collectively decided to do because um we felt south america was kind of underrepresented on this podcast as we've never yeah. talked about them before we're sorry south america yes well, we'll t- we're, we gonna talk- we're gonna talk about brazil today so i hope, hope which is 50 percent of your population ish but yeah um so recently, far-right leader of Brazil, Jair, if I'm pronouncing that right, Bolsonaro. I think it's Jair. Jair, Bolsonaro, I'm starting to let that for now. Recently announced that there was no more corruption in Brazil. I found a story on Al Jazeera, very reputable source, by the way. So here's the thing. I doubt it. I doubt there's, I no offense to Brazil, but is there really no more corruption in Brazil, though? Like, Basically, from what I read of this article, it was basically I ended Operation Car Wash, which I will explain, which is a long explanation, but I'm very interested in this. I've been waiting to do this on the podcast a long time. So he, so he basically said, I don't see any corruption around me, so there is no more corruption in Brazil, which is kind of odd. But the thing is, that is probably not the case because... As you may remember, in January of 2016, I believe it was, the scandal Operation Car Wash took place. So let me give you a basic, very, very basic rundown of what that was. Basically, it's one of the reasons that Bolsonaro won. So I'm going to, this involved a lot of different places around South America, but this, for the video I watched from Vox, it started in they centered it around a place called Comperge and yeah, it's an oil refinery. So, um, no, it's a gas refinery. Oil, yeah, oil and gas. They centered it around Comperge, so I'm just going to go from, oh, it's also a petrochemical plant. I'm glad I had that in my notes. Yeah. So, they had 200,000 jobs there. So, basically what happened is Comparge and a lot of other places all around South and Central America, like I think there are places related to Comparge as far north as like, I think maybe Guatemala and Cuba, I want to say as well. They are owned by a company called Petrobras, which is a state-run Brazilian oil company. And it's also the largest oil company in South America. So our story now travels to Brazil's capital, Brasilia, where a group of police were spying on a gas station which is part of, which also had a car wash, hence the name Operation Car Wash. So they were, were spying on a gas station because they suspected there was money laundering going on. So basically what happened is money would come into this gas station and be claimed as gas station earnings. Now you have to imagine it's an insane amount because ultimately a bribe that was paid, which comes later in this scandal, 
was of $800,000 or maybe, I'm not sure if that's US dollars or Brazil's currency, but basically money was being taken into this gas station and claimed as gas station earnings and then going out to a mysterious source. And so after this whole investigation happened, it was found that a man by, there's a famous Brazilian money launderer named Alberto Youssef, who was taken in and offer a plea deal in exchange for the source of the money. And in court, he famously claimed, if I speak, the Republic will fall, which, spoiler, there were thousands of jobs lost because of Operation Car Wash. And this was at like 500,000 or something. I'm not sure. I know there were 13,000 laid off at Comperge, I believe, but I'm getting ahead of myself. And he also claimed he was not laundering money for Petrobras, which he kind of wasn't. So let's go a level deeper. So what usually happens with Petrobras is they actually, they own Compares, the Compares site, but they also own many other places in South and Central America, as I said. And what usually happens is Petrobras, they are a large corporation, so they have to pay out a lot of money. And usually what happens is multiple companies would compete for Petrobras sites, building refineries and other things for Petrobras. But one day, this group of companies that's become known as the cartel, headed by a company called Odebrecht, which that is an amazing name, um, like it just rolls off the tongue well. But yeah, so Odebrecht, which is the ringleader, of, well, so-called ringleader of this cartel of companies, decided to take turns building Petrobras sites. Now, you probably think, well, it's cool. Let's go a layer deeper. It turns out that Odebrecht had been paying bribes to Brazilian government officials to favor Petrobras, including uh, money to, to fuel their campaigns, which was part of the bribe money. And most notably, Sergio Cabral, who's the governor of the Rio state of Brazil, received $800,000. And so what these bribes were for was they were bribing the government of Brazil to um, favor Petrobras. And if you think, okay, that's devious, well, that's not all that Odebrecht did. They were also bribing the company of Petrobras as well to do something similar. So the lashback from Operation Car Wash was it's good and it's bad. And the reason I don't believe Bolsonaro's claim is because people are still being rooted out for so-called being engaged in Operation Car Wash. Like, I believe Brazil's richest man was arrested. Well, yeah. The president, who was also leading in the polls, Luis Ignacio Lula de Silva, or Lula, which is his nickname and a much shorter name I'll refer to him by for this story. Lula was arrested and sentenced for 12 years. Um, Dilma Rousseff, another Brazilian president, was impeached for her cooperation Operation Car Wash. And... Michel Temer, whose, if name, whose name, if you recognize it, he was a temporary president of Brazil after Rousseff, who was known for writing creepy poetry and having a wife who was 42 years younger than him. He was charged. Ultimately, Petrobras ended up losing half of its stock between September of 2014 and January of 2015. And, and this was right after Brazil was recovering from a recession. And there were two different reactions to Operation Car Wash when it broke. In one hand, it rooted out mass corruption in Brazil. On the other hand, people were angry that this was happening. So there were mass protests, like you can go look at videos and it was also ultimately the reason that Jair, or Jair Bolsonaro won because Lula, who I referred to, well, he got arrested while he was leading in the polls for becoming Brazilian president. And this is secondhand information, but from what I understand, Fernand Haddad, the person who became the presidential candidate for Lula's uh, leftist party, I believe they're called the Workers' Party of Brazil, was a bit of a bit too left for Brazil, which ultimately led to Bolsonaro be coming to power after two rounds of elections. They are called the Workers' Party, just so you know. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'm not trying to be rude to Brazil here, but like, I can almost guarantee you, people are still being charged. Like, let's see here, Operation Car Wash. Yeah, no, there's um. There are still articles coming out in like 2019 and 2020 with more stuff on it. So I don't think 
Bolsonaro has ended corruption in Brazil. Like, that's just my opinion. Do you have anything you want to add? No, I don't have much I want to add. I mean, um, Operation Car Wash. I mean, I've heard that there are allegations that it's kind of biased. I mean, I know a lot of leftists. Oh, yeah. There are bribes. There are bribes paid to judges as well. Yeah, like I know a lot of people uh, feel like uh, a lot of people feel like Operation Car Wash is basically just a way to attack the Brazilian left because of how many of the uh, members of the Brazilian left have been involved in it, like Lula and Mikel Temer and Michel Temer, yeah, Michel Temer and. uh, Dilma Fernando de Mello. Was, I never heard uh, of him. He was the 32nd president of Brazil from 1990 to 1992. Oh, okay. I didn't know about him. But yeah. Although, is he a member of the Brazilian left? I think he is, but... Yeah, Brazil has a lot of like... Yeah, you know, he's left. kind of a center-left kind of guy. Yeah, um, it's kind of complicated. I don't know. I honestly don't know how authentic everything is. Like, I mean... Should Lula have gone to prison? I don't know. Should Michel Temer have been arrested? I don't know. Should Fernando Coldlord de Mello have been indicted? I don't know. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i guessing that all of them probably did some shady stuff, but I honestly don't know. It's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to tell, like, what exactly is going on. Like, I mean, a lot of this stuff ends up getting really political and partisan. So, I mean... If we're going to be honest, Brazilian politics is just like the next step. Like we talk about how, oh, politics is so great in New Zealand because like New Zealand had their debates and they were all similar stuff. Like Brazil is just the next step from the U.S. So it's like you have a continuum where it's like you have New Zealand at the end and then you have like Turkmenistan at the other end. And like everyone's on a continuum. So it's like, let's just like assign some numbers. Let's say that New Zealand's in 100 and... Turkmenistan's a zero, or I guess Basically North Korea can be a zero, and Turkmenistan's a five. We'll do that. The U.S. is like a sixty, yeah, and Brazil's like a forty. So I mean, or maybe that's a maybe that's a bit too harsh. The U.S. is like yeah. an eighty, and the Brazil's like a sixty, and then you have like Canada, probably like a ninety. You have like Germany, probably like a ninety-five. Britain, maybe an eighty-five. So it's just like everyone's on a continuum. Every country's on a continuum based on how transparent their elections are and how much corruption there is and like i mean it's possible that uh something like this could happen uh, in other countries too in the future i mean uh, there's like a massive investigation and then like indicting people like i mean that kind of happened with a lot of the russia stuff in the u.s but like like man imagine if like Imagine if, like, half our senators were hit with, like, an indictment. Like, that would yeah. be crazy. Like, I to be fair, I don't think half of Brazil's senators have been or whoever their elected officials are. I don't know what, what the term for their uh, legislative members are. But uh, imagine if half of their legislators have been hit with an indictment here in the U.S. Like, that would just be crazy. But it's just like, wow. I don't know. Operation Car Wash, it's very complicated. And... Uh, I don't think it's over. I mean, Jair Bolsonaro is wrong about pretty much everything, so I'm not going to trust him on this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a guy who said that he wants to... This is the guy who like, literally suggested that political violence is okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> and that yeah. we should maybe consider executing yeah. some, yeah. some uh, political mil- opponents. And, and, he, and like teach you little kids how to do finger guns and that Brazil's military dictatorship didn't kill enough and stuff. Yeah, like he I don't know. He's he's a crazy guy. Like Yeah. He he obviously shouldn't be in control of Brazil. Says I heard some dumb takes. I remember I heard one guy once say that he didn't know much about Bolsonaro, but that Bolsonaro was fighting against the social justice warriors and the radical left. So he liked him and it's like, really? Like, okay, social justice warriors can be annoying sometimes, but really you're going to you're going to support someone who suggests that we should execute political opponents and imprison them just so you can own the libs <laughs> like wow <laughs> nice one buddy <laughs> um do you have anything else about this story or uh no not really okay well i think we can move on to my next story this one's short ish 
Um, it's an update on the Nagorno-Karabakh situation. So, on October 10th, literally the day after we recorded episode 6, I think. Yeah, episode 6. The, literally the day after we recorded episode 6, there was a ceasefire. And it was called between Armenia and Azerbaijan and the Republic of Artsakh. And it was all negotiated by Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, who is actually half Armenian himself. And fighting was halted at noon that day, so that's noon October 10th. But the ceasefire has been violated multiple times. For example, Armenia has fired Scud missiles at Ganja in the heartland of Azerbaijan twice, or actually four times, but twice since the ceasefire. First on October 10th, and then on October 17th, and Scud missiles, if you don't know, are Soviet ballistic missiles. So that's a big thing with Armenia and Azerbaijan. They really like using old Soviet technology. Like, literally, stuff that was made in, like, the 70s and the 80s. And they were fired by either Artsakh or Armenia. That's not really clear who fired them. And 13 were killed and 52 were injured on this most recent attack on today, October 17th. And... Armenia claims that Azerbaijan has military targets there, which they might have military targets in Ganja, but they fired into a civilian area, so that's kind of weird. And Azerbaijan fired back at Artsakh. I don't remember exactly where in Artsakh they fired back, but they did. And Ganja's not in... I, I said it's in the heartland. It's not in disputed area. Like It's like Baku. Like There's no dispute over who owns Baku or who yeah. owns Ganja. But Azerbaijan also claimed today that they captured Fuzuli, which had been controlled by Artsakh since August 23rd, 1993, and it is currently inhabited. Sorry, it is currently uninhabited, although it did have people there at one point. Although it'd be nice to have some further verification because both sides love to claim they're capturing stuff, and then it yeah. turns out the next day they didn't actually capture it, they just claimed it. So we definitely want some more verification on that, but. Yeah. And by the way, if you want to learn more about this whole conflict, episode 5 and episode 6 discussed it in detail. So, yes. Yes. Still pro-Armenia. I mean, I don't know if the Northern Karabakh's going to break away or anything. Well, it has broken away. That's the whole debate. Artsakh declared its independence in the 1990s. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. It's like Corsica the Paradise. And then they, uh, and then the Armenian military invaded Azerbaijan to help Artsakh, and now, or at least for a while, Artsakh was de facto independent, and much of the area surrounding Artsakh was controlled by the Armenian military, even though it's all legally Azerbaijan. It should either be independent or go to Armenia. It's like I mean, I don't know. You'd have to do a treaty, like you'd have to do a referendum. That would be legal. Like, you'd have to have the people in Artsakh say, like, and Azerbaijan would have to recognize this referendum. Like, you'd have to have them say, okay, can we have independence? We'll do a referendum. Um, and then, I don't know, if Azerbaijan would say, like, I don't know if they'd say sure, probably not, but hey, maybe they would. But yeah, it's not all, it's, I mean, they're illegally seceding, so that's my main issue with it. Again, I like the concept of, like, Artsakh seceding, but they did it illegally, so that's why I'm not supporting it. I mean, the U.S. kind of seceded illegally as well, so, yeah. Well, the Confederate States seceded illegally. Well, the U.S. Oh, you're talking about the U.S.? Well, the U.S., that's different, I mean, because... <laughs> yeah, we, like, I mean, you're totally against the illegally seceding illegally, but then again, on the other hand... I mean, we're really built on an idea, if you think about it. The Artsakh is just built on, we're Armenians, we want to be part of Armenia. I mean, I understand that, and like, again, do it legally. Like how Scotland was able to get a referendum on their independence, they voted it down. Um, Or, yeah, and I mean, also the other thing is, and actually it was my dad who pointed this out, was uh, a lot of people like to say, oh, but there's a lot of Armenians in Azerbaijan, like, also for a while, there was a lot of Azerbaijanis in, or Azeris, that's the better term to use. Azerbaijani sounds clunky. Um, <laughs> there were a lot of Azeris in Armenia, and they were all forced out. So, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm not calling for a, I'm not calling for a ethnic cleansing of the Armenians in Artsakh. So, I am definitely wouldn't support that. And 
I would definitely turn on, on Azerbaijan if they did that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just still, I don't think that uh, this is all, I don't think this is good that um, this is all happening right now. And uh, the other thing to mention is that, I mean, you can debate about Artsakh, but the Armenian military is no place in Azerbaijan. Like, imagine if Oregon became independent, if Oregon declared independence from the U.S., and then the Canadian military just went in and occupied Washington. Because it's like, oh, we want to help Oregon. Like, really? Well, would it be different circumstances? That's, like, literally the exact circumstance. That's, like, literally the exact circumstance that they're in. I mean, no, but, like, Arkansas, aren't the majority Armenian? They are. But Washington isn't majority Canadian. I'm not making a literal ethnic argument, but I'm making your original argument, which is basically the whole. Because before you were making an before um, you were making a uh, an argument from democracy, like oh, Azerbaijan's oh, yeah, a freer society. Sorry, no, not Azerbaijan. Armenia's a freer society than Azerbaijan, so that's why. Now you're making an ethnic argument. So I mean, is that a should um, should Hungary do that? Let's ask. That's a great example. So Romania, if you don't know, there's the land inside of. Um, in the center of Romania, there's land called the Seke, uh, Seke land, and it's inhabited by a bunch of Hungarians. So, uh, no, I mean, like, it's like- should, Hung- should Hungary just go in? Should the Sekes just gain their independence? Hungary just swoop into Romania and just occupy a bunch of land there? Like, that- I just had a period, well, one, Thailand also wants to become independent. I mean, I don't see any problem with it. It's not like Quebec independence, but you give Ontario way too much power in Parliament. But, like, Aren't you like pro splitting up Belgium too? I mean, like, it's, well, anyway, I'm, we're getting into a we're getting into a ridiculous argument here that has. Well, been. I mean, am I pro splitting up Belgium? Well, they want to. If if all parties agree to splitting up Belgium, sure, I'm pro splitting up splitting up Belgium. I but, mean, like, you can. Make I mean, if I was a if I was a if I was a phlegm, is that what's the term? Flemish. If I was Flemish. Um, or I was Wallonian, sure, I might vote to split up Belgium, but I wouldn't just illegally. Sus- I wouldn't if I was in like Flanders. I wouldn't just like want to illegally secede from Wallonia and say, "Hey, we're independent guys. Hey, hey, Netherlands, can you invade?" <laughs> yeah, there are also that. governments. There are also governments that would never let any of their st- states succeed. Like, and you have to realize that too. Like, I mean, do you you honestly think Donald I mean, Trump's going like to let Texas succeed? I'm just curious. Do you think South Korea should invade North Korea? No, but like I'm not. I'm not talking about pro random invasion. I'm just talking about like there are well, some. Government, <laughs> I'm just talking about well, I mean, like an ethnic and like it's ethnic. I'm just saying like they're ethnically Armenian. They're probably better off under Armenian democracy. Just see, and plus there are some countries like I, I don't know maybe Azerbaijan that would probably never let anybody succeed. Like, do you honestly think the Jewish autonomous state is going to be break, breaking away from Russia? Probably well, not. No, well, do you, uh, like, okay, because, of the COPA, do you, because of the uh, Compact of Free Association, do you think the Chukar will actually have any chance at succeeding for Micronesia? I mean, I know that one's up in the air right now, but, like, I don't think, like, if, honestly, if Micronesia was under United States jurisdiction, I do not think the Chuk would have a prayer at succeeding from there, but yeah, are they doing it? Yeah, they are. Okay, okay, okay. So first, I want to just address something real quick. So by your argument, so you, I'm assuming you know that a lot of South Texas and a lot of South California is majority Hispanic, and there are a lot of Spanish speakers there. Yeah. Do they have the right to just secede and then ask Mexico? Do they have the right to form whatever, the Republic of the Rio Grande or something like that, and ask Mexico to help them? because they're all Hispanic and they they all speak Spanish there like do they, sh- should they do that like is that would you support that if that happened I mean like if oh that kind of rides on whether Mexico would help them which I doubt they would because Well of- if okay if Mexico helped them like if Mexico said Mexico was acting strange and said sure we'll help you I mean I don't know why they would help them but if they did and they said sure we'll help you secede from the US and we'll occupy the surrounding area so that we can protect you. Like, would you support that? I mean, like, say, well, I mean, if the people wanted to secede, why not? I mean, like, well, if, what like, if they did want to secede, but they did it in this weird, illegally shady way? Like, would you wait, support you're, that? Wait, you're saying they don't want to secede, but they, they do want to secede. Oh, <laughs> they do want to secede. Okay, I'm I'm making a hypothetical scenario for you. I know, I know you are. Okay, so they want to secede. They want to 
secede and then they want Mexico to help them. Someone declares independence in a land from South Texas to South California. Let's just, and we're going to call it the Republic of the Rio Grande or something, or I don't know. I honestly don't care what it's called, but um, the Republic of the Rio Grande. And then they ask, hey, Mexico, can you help us? And then Mexico says, sure, because they're like, the U.S. doesn't want us to secede because they think that our secession is illegal. And I mean, it is. It is illegal to secede. Sorry, Texans. I know a lot of Texans think they can secede whenever they want. They can't. They can break up their state into five separate states whenever they want, but they cannot secede whenever they want. Which actually, by the way, that would actually be a good idea right now because Texas is pretty politically divided. You have the South that is very democratic leading and the North is Republican leading. So they should split themselves up into two states. But that is a story for a different time. Um, Anyway, so does Texas just, and sorry, not Texas, does the U.S. just like say, okay, we'll just let you secede in Mexico invade and occupy our land like do they have a right to say actually no we don't want you to do that and do they have a right to fight back like i think I they mean, do especially in the land that mexico's occupying because you have to understand a lot of nagorno karabakh Artsakh doesn't even control and doesn't even claim like there's a lot of like jibrail which we talked about last week which was recaptured by the uh, aziri military that was never part of the original nagorno karabakh area it was just an a city that Armenia was holding because they thought it would be strategically useful. Weren't you the one that's like, um, if somebody wants to succeed, then they should? Like, a couple of If someone wants to succeed legally, then they should. Like, I think I mean, I'm just, pro Scotland independence, and and I mean, like, if I, mean, I would, I would prefer this, though. If they, if there was like a conservative majority, it's like, I mean, provided they weren't bred English because England kind of controls everything, they might actually enjoy Scotland succeeding. But like, if like, would like say. Like, I mean, say Scotland wanted to succeed, but like the conservatives had this massive majority that went and maybe they had to deal with like, I don't know, the DUP and UCHIF and like they couldn't succeed. Would you still support Scotland succeeding then? I mean, just because like. Well, I mean, well, why would they have that? Wait. Well, why would there be a referendum? Because, um, well, one, a couple things. One, the conservatives, it was under a conservative government that the Scotland voted to secede and, uh, Okay, then use labor then. Just say labor had a massive Labor opinion. labor would also want would also want Scotland. Okay, fine. Let me let me know. No, they uh, wouldn't want it, but they'd be fine with a referendum. Okay, problem. fine. Then say UCHIF had a massive majority. Okay. This we're getting real hypothetical here, but I went hypothetical on you, so I feel like I should have to answer yeah. this question. <laughs> like okay. what if UCHIF had a majority? They would never if let UCHIF Scotland had a majority win. and they never let Scotland secede. Well well it depend on if there was an election. Exactly. Well, I mean, no, well kind of that's kinda of like what I'm saying. Like I mean like, I mean it's and I mean, also, like, it would depend on, I mean, as far as I know, there was never a referendum in Nagorno-Karabakh. If well, there no, was a, they're at war. Do you honestly think there would have been a referendum in Iraq during the well, war? No, well, I'm talking did. about, no, sorry, I'm talking about 1993, when this first started. Or, sorry, I know, well, like, any war. 1980s, like, 1990s, whatever. Like, do you I honestly think there would have been a referendum during any war? Like, I mean, what country's going to have a referendum if they well, would have a I clear mean, leader? No, like, do we... Like, I mean, are referendums I'm, I'm legal in Armenia? We're, at, we're, we're operating under the assumption that the, this they all want to be part of Armenia. I mean, maybe they do. Maybe they just want to no, be. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I mean, I'm saying, like, if they're, if they're majority pro Armenia or pro independence, I mean, like, I'm not, no offense to Azerbaijan, but I'm not sure why you'd be pro Azerbaijan. But, like, I mean, no, I, mean I, I, make, I, I make, like, I mean, I just. Were, I, 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 I make the argument that like, if the Nord of Karabakh was like pro-Azerbaijan, then yeah, let's take them back to Azerbaijan. Then, then I'm not sure why you choose a dictatorship over a democracy. But Well, I mean, although let's also be honest, Armenian's democracy is a little bit flaky. I mean, it's better than Azerbaijan, but it's still, it's not great. <laughs> well, yeah, Azerbaijan does like, like the new Azerbaijan party has like total rule over their part. Well, not total, but like there's, yeah. Basically, as a total war. But yeah, I don't know. I just think this is illegal, and I don't think that we should be supporting something that's illegal. And then also, like, there there are some differences too. Like, for example, you might someone might say, "Oh, well, you support the um, you support Azerbaijan, so do you like not support the Kurds in Syria?" Like, well, that's different because Syria was in like a full scale civil war. So if then the Syrian government basically just left. So they basically just like created a state there, which will, which I guess we can talk about later or something. But uh, yeah. Uh, but they they just basically left the Kurds to 
do it. And they're they're resolving it. I mean, the Syrian government, I don't like the Syrian government, but they're working with the Kurds. They worked with them to defeat ISIS, so they're now working against Turkey. But yeah, I mean, if Azerbaijan fell into disarray, like let's say there was an Azerbaijan civil war, and they basically left the Nagorno-Karabakh to its, they, just, they basically just withdrew, then sure, Nagorno-Karabakh can fight. But like, I mean, Azerbaijan has a government. They're not, they're not dysfunctional. I mean, there's no, there's no. I don't think there's sustained social unrest in most of Azerbaijan, with the exception of Nagorno-Karabakh. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't see any good justification for this happening for Nagorno-Karabakh. Um, and I mean, also, every country except for maybe Armenia recognizes. Um, uh, this land is uh, Azerbaijan's land. So, I mean, it's not even like the U.S., we think it's Azerbaijan's land. France thinks it is. China, Russia, um, Turkey, of course, the U.K., Sweden, Switzerland, Israel. Name a country. They think it's Azerbaijan's land. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see what happens if Azerbaijan ends up taking it back. I mean, we'll definitely see. And, I mean, I might... Uh, I, if they handle it well, I'll definitely be supportive of Azerbaijan. If they, if they try to do an ethnic cleansing, then I will definitely criticize them a lot. So we'll see. I mean, but yeah, I just don't, I don't think this is a good idea. I just, I don't know. That's just my, that's my opinion. And we'll, we might get back to this in a little bit. Depends yeah. on if the ceasefire is officially broken or there's just major, um, major unrest in Nagorno-Karabakh. We'll cover this next episode, but if it's, if um, there's no more captures, I have a site that I look at um, and it gives me some good updates on uh, Nagorno-Karabakh. It's called SyrianCivilWarMap.com. It originally was covering the Syrian Civil War, but it now also covers Libya, Iraq, and the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. Oh, nice. But yeah, that's that. Um, so any final thoughts? I'm kind of rambling here. Um, I don't really have anything else to add to the Armenia-Azerbaijan thing, so, I mean, do you want to move on? Yeah, let's move on. Okay, I have, from one update to the other, I have Tigray updates. Um, oh, gosh, the Tigray situation, that's a, that's a complicated one. <laughs> yes, it is. So, I wanted to, is this a really an update, it's more of an elaboration, because there is a story I missed that came out the day we actually released episode 5 that I totally missed during episode six or just forgot and didn't report on. So I come to you today with a story from October 4th. Like in our previous story, we are talking about another breakaway state. How fun. So this isn't really much of an update and it's more of a, uh, more of an elaboration, I should say. So there are multiple different sides to this. If you want to know the origins of this story, pause this one. Go back to our previous one, listen to that real quick, the section about Ethiopia. So basically, I'm starting to see more arguments for and against the Tigray separatist movement. So let me, let me break this down here. So if, as you remember, the Tigray, who have their own state in Ethiopia, because Ethiopia's parties and their um, provinces are broken down ethnically, and Tigray are a province and an ethnic group in the Tigray province if that's there. So Tigray province is on the very northern tip of Ethiopia near Eritrea. There's currently two parties in parliament, the TPLF, which is the Tigray People's Liberation Front, and the Prosperity Party, which uh, their leader, who is the incumbent prime minister of Ethiopia, Abiy Ahmed, uh, he actually won a Nobel Peace Prize for making peace with Eritrea on the northern border of Ethiopia. And the funny thing is Tigray is actually right on that border. So peace with Tigray kind of means peace with Eritrea because there was a major land dispute, which is the war Abiy Ahmed ended when he came to power in 2018. He actually won a Nobel Peace Prize for it. So Ahmed, as, as you may recall, as I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but Ahmed ran on a platform of, okay, we're, he's, his party stems from a coalition of other parties. To remember how I said Ethiopia's parties are ethnically based. So he bases, his party is basically all the little ethnic parties of Ethiopia combined, except for the one that didn't join, which is the TPLF, who he is kind of fighting. So what's happened is 
there's kind of multiple sides to this. I mean, technically, TPLF is the reason that Ahmed is in power because he actually, uh, so Ethiopia is, was a Marxist state for quite some time. And from what I read, the TPLF was actually one of the major groups that overthrew the Marxist regime. From what I read, they were also in power from 1991 to 2012. Oh, by the way, I have to say this. Yeah. The Marxist regime is called the Derg, which is just fine. Oh, yeah. One of the most hilarious names. The Derg regime, yes. And then also, uh, it says here that the TPLF is pretty far left, so. Yeah, it's, but, okay, yeah, which is odd. It's far left versus far left. So there are multiple reasons that they're trying to break away. It's because, as you may recall, that even though he platformed on this, having actual opposition in Ethiopia, Ahmed has actually been accused of silencing opposition, particularly the TPLF. So Ahmed was up for re-election this year after being elected in 2018, but due to COVID, that election was put on hold and his term was extended 12 months, which the Tigray thinks he, now he's an illegitimate prime minister and he's also been silencing a lot of opposition to him, even though he ran on a platform of doing not that. And so recently, the Tigray, as you may remember, actually held an illegal election for their local representatives. I'm not sure what they call them in Ethiopia, but they held elections for local representatives, which was illegal. And 189 out of 190 of the seats from the Tigray region went to the TPLF, which is the Tigray People's Liberation Front, which they're the ones trying to have the Tigray basically break away. And the funny thing is that during the border dispute with Eritrea, the Tigray were actually on Ethiopia's side. So it'll be interesting to see that if the Tigray decide to break away, which they've actually had uh, regional forces armed with AKs and RPG rocket launchers march into the major, march into major cities in the Tigray. And I found this kind of weird. And due to civil unrest, 120, not because of the, I don't think it's because of that, the marching in with RPGs, but um, 120,000 Tigrays have been displaced, which is, this is as of like 2012, by the way. So the story that I was referring to that broke on October 4th when we released episode 5 was that the Tigray has cut out all ties with Ethiopia's parliament. So I'm not sure if we're looking at a new country here. We are recording this on October 17th, meaning there hasn't been any new news for 13 days, which is almost two weeks. But by the time this will be out, it'll be past two weeks, I imagine. So uh, yeah, there's also been, there's one more thing I've, like to point out, there's also been 9,000 arrested after protests over the killing of an Ethiopian singer called Halachu Hundesa. I'm not sure why. I said it was because he spoke out against the Ahmed government, but I'm also, he also may have been Tigray, or I can't remember the whole story, but yeah. He was a, apparently he was a pretty big popular singer in Ethiopia. Like, I haven't listened to any of his music, but yeah. you have any thoughts on this? Well, I mean... So again, it's also a very uh, complicated situation, kind of similar to Operation Car Watch. I mean, not the whole concept of it, but just like the way it's played out. I mean, it involves a lot of different parties. I mean, again, I I said this last episode, do some sort of a U.S. Uh, United States of Ethiopia and like give each state a, yeah. a lot of autonomy. And I don't think that's an option, though, because the Why lead... can't it be? Why can't I? Well, I mean, wait a minute. They, I have I mean, a... they just have to agree to it. I mean... Uh, well, maybe a quote from this, I have a quote here from the governor, or I'm not sure what they call it in Ethiopia, but the governor of the Tigray region, who is, whose party is the TPLF, uh, his name is, uh, Debretchen Deber Michael. Um, yeah. it says, we will never back down for anyone who is intending to suppress our hard-won right to self-determination, self-rule. So, I mean, well, that, like, I mean, so I think that's a pretty blatant state that, like, there's definitely going to be something that goes on. Well, I mean, you could kind of have, um, I mean, self-determination, self-rule. Well, why don't you just, like, have self-rule and all but name only? So, for example, what about the Ethiopian government gives the Tigray social rights and then they can control? Ethiopian they already do. government can control, like, the economic stuff. Like, for example, the Tigray wouldn't have their own currency. 
they'd be using the Ethiopian burr, I believe. They already no. They're the TPLF is set on independence. We're just gonna have to live with that. I mean, like I mean, but yeah, I mean, gonna, we'll see. They're gonna but, like they're gonna I mean, have some attempt at breaking away from Ethiopia. That's I mean, I, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, maybe they should. Maybe that is the best thing for Ethiopia. But that's just an idea. I mean, I actually, I mean, should I mean, like I your guess, silence. Like Abiy Ahmed has actively been silenced in the opposition. I mean, yeah, like, no, no, no. I'm not like I'm not doing a. I'm not doing apologetics for Ahmed. I'm just, uh, I'm just thinking that, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't think, I mean, if, if they feel like they have to separate and I mean, they they do do it Um, legally, if they legally separate and stuff. And, uh, and I mean, I guess also, I should have talked about this when we talked about the Armenian Asperjan thing. If they have a valid cause, something greater than I want to be, then they do My ethnicity is different I, than your ethnicity. Like it'd have to be an accusation of like genocide or something that would no. They've uh, separatism. Well, I mean, Tidr- I, Ahmed. Remember, I already said this. I think last episode and this episode, Ahmed is silencing his opposition. So I mean, yeah. And then I guess the other thing I should also uh, mention is that I mean, it would also be something that like uh, you might say, oh, it's kind of a vague term, valid cause. Like I mean, the international community would definitely figure it out if for some. If the Tigris say we want to be independent and literally no other country buys it, then it's like, really? But if it's like, we want to be independent and the US, UK, and France all buy it, then it's like, well, then we should actually start talking about it because maybe they have a valid reason. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think separatism in the US, separatism was not our first idea. We didn't just like randomly say, hey, we want to separate because we don't like King George. Like, it was kind of a last resort for us. We tried to make a – we did the Olive Branch Petition, I believe, in, like, 1775 or something like that. I don't remember the exact date. But, I mean, they should definitely try to work it out with Ahmed first. And then if uh, something happens – if uh, sorry, if nothing happens, We're they can talk of, us. They're so, already at that stage. Well, did they try talking to Ahmed? Like, did they try, like, yeah, there's holding a, there was a large multiple summit. rounds of peace? Yeah, there was a large summit that was featured in a video – Oh, there was a large summit. Okay. Yeah, dude, you're you're way you're they're way past the they way they're like they're ready for independence. Like I mean, you're and I mean I guess the other thing that makes it complicated is, I mean, um, the Tigray, they're in Eritrea too, so that would cause a lot of issues there. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, there was already a war for, over this, so I mean, I think it'd be best if there's no more wars between Eritrea and Ethiopia. Well, it would cause a war. I'm pretty sure it would cause a war between Eritrea and Ethiopia. Or well, sorry, I mean, if the Tigray... sorry, not between Air. It would be it would cause a war between the Tigrays and Eritrea. No, it'd be between the Tigrays and Ethiopia because that's the, who they're trying to break away from. Well, it would. Co- well, I mean, there are so many Tigrays in Eritrea that they'd probably be fighting both. <laughs> maybe uh, unless maybe. the Tigrays and Eritrea are like, we're gonna not do this whole independence thing. Like unless they stand back and just say this, we're not part of this, which seems Ethiopia very had, unlikely. Ethiopia and Eritrea are on good terms now, though. Mostly. Yeah, which is probably why they would side together against the Tigrays. I don't even know. Or you don't want this one, but no, I'm just saying that. Uh, I'm just saying that you said Ethiopia and Eritrea are on good terms. Ethiopia is not on good terms with the Tigrays, so Ethiopia and Eritrea will join together and fight the Tigrays. Uh, but there's Tigrays, and you just said there, you also just said there's Tigrays in Eritrea. Yes, they will fight the Tigrays in Eritrea. Will fight the Tigrays in Eritrea. Ethiopia will fight the Tigrays in Ethiopia. But it's an ethnic thing. Why would there be like if it's an ethnic thing? Then why in the world would they fight each other? Like because I they mean, don't want to lose their land. <laughs> what the wait? You're so you're saying that you're wait? You're so you're saying that it, people who you're saying that Tigrays in Ethiopia. You're saying the Tigrays in Eritrea, who already have a solid country, would fight against the Tigrays in Ethiopia? Who are no, they would fight country. with the Tigrays in Ethiopia. They would fight with the Tigrays in Ethiopia. Oh, Tigr- I thought you were saying that. I thought like I thought you were saying the Eritrean. I thought you were saying that the Eritrean Tigrays would side with the Eritrean government. That would no, no, Ethiopia. no. They would side with the. I mean, I don't know the. I mean, I guess it's possible. Let me just look this up real quick. I want to know. Um, what the approximate amount of Tigrays in Eritrea is. Let me just check this out. I'm curious. Okay, there's actually a lot. It's 57%. Wow, well, well, maybe... Oh, oh maybe okay. It might be a, a, um... So now, yeah, I didn't I didn't know it was 57%. So that yeah. actually makes it interesting. So now maybe actually... Uh, 
Well, I don't know. Maybe um, – Now you have the international community up. No, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> – well, like, I, I mean, I mean, To be honest, I wouldn't even care if the international community was on board, but now now you have the international community on board because, like, you have Eritrea, which is a brutal – which is a really big dictatorship. But, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if I look at this, I mean, it depends on who's in power, of course. Fifty-seven percent is not a hundred percent, but I, I mean, I mean, would they uh, actually? If you have, lead to, if you have I was under the assumption that the Tigrays were a minority in Eritrea, not the majority. Now that could lead to some renewed conflicts with the Ethiopian government. I think. Well, I mean, I, if like, uh, the, the Ethiopian Tigrays tried to remember, gain gain independence. The Ethiopian government has already cut ties with the Tigray region. Like it's in the article. Like. They've already cut ties. Like, they're only giving the Tigrays the essentials now. The Tigrays are basically, like, they're on Ethiopian land, and they're getting some stuff from Ethiopia. Other than that, they're basically kind of independent. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if they're participating in Ethiopian parliament anymore. I, I think they probably, I think they are, but I'm not sure. I, I don't think that'll last much longer. The other idea I think that they should maybe suggest is, I talked about this uh, last episode, was they should just split Ethiopia into, like, two countries. Or, I mean... Eight countries. <laughs> eight countries. Right, I guess if you wanted to do it by ethnicity, and fine, under that situation, then it would then it would be lawful, and Tigray would gain independence. But, like, I mean, should the... I mean, you could have a Tigray-based country. You should have the Tigray and the Amhara in one, and then you should have the Oromo and the Somali in another. Do you have anything else you want to add? <laughs> no, I mean, we'll see. I mean, this is a weird situation, I mean... I honestly think, I mean, if the Tigris did gain independence, I know for fa- for a fact that this would put Eritrea into the whole situation. But we'll see. And I could actually even, if the Tigris gained independence, I could also see, like, some other countries in the region maybe trying to get involved. Like, it could maybe, maybe I could see, um, I would say Somalia if they had a functioning government. I don't know. I'm maybe Djibouti would side with Ethiopia. I don't know. It could, you could have some sort of a war there, I honestly think. I don't think it would just be a private sort of situation between Ethiopia and... Um, or a private... A weird word to use. A, um, just a small situation between Ethiopia and the uh, Tigray. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, this is an interesting issue. I mean, the Tigray... Um, hmm. We'll get to it, but, you know, we'll get to it later once a new update about it comes up. But, yeah, the Tigray is just a very, very strange situation, and I don't have much else to say. Yeah, same. So, um, do you have one more story, or? No, we covered all of the stories for this okay, episode. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to close out, I'll... Yeah. But yeah, okay. Well, we are on um, Instagram at TWI1244. Our Reddit is u dash underscore capital T this capital W each capital I enter and then another underscore and we're also on many places that you can find podcasts but our main thing is really Spotify. I'll give you the rundown of where you can find us. So we are on Google Podcasts. We are on Breaker. We are on Pocket Casts. We are on Radio Public. We are on Anchor, and we are on Spotify. I know Andy previously said that, and we have an RSS feed, and that is HTTPS uh, colon slash slash anchor.fm slash S slash 316E92C slash podcast slash RSS. So that's our RSS feed. I don't really know what you want to do with that if you uh, if you have it, but uh, if you're interested in that, then yeah. Yeah, I've I've never even seen an RSS feed before, so. Yeah, it's some sort of distribution method. Something we um, don't know. <laughs> we don't. Yeah, we're we not. Know. Well, yeah, it's it's complicated, but yeah. Yeah. And by the so, way, uh, if you're on Instagram and you want us to be on other podcasts, like if you have some, like I know there's like Podbean and Spreaker and some other ones. Speaker. If you, Breaker. I'm no, no, I know about Breaker, but there's one called Spreaker too. Oh, okay. Um, if you want us to be on some other platform, then you can DM us or something and say, yeah, Hey, we'll figure it out. I've yeah. been listening to you on Spotify or whatever, but I really want you on this platform and we'll think about it and we'll see if we can get yeah. on that platform. And then a final thing is, um, this is kind of impromptu. I didn't talk about this with Andy and hopefully he'll be okay with it. But I was thinking 
that we would um, do something where we allow uh, people to get shout outs. So basically this would work by if you're on Instagram and you like our episodes, you can um, give us a, you can give us a DM. You can send us a, you can send us a DM and we will shout you out. You can just send us a DM saying, Hey, can I have a shout out or something like that? And we'll shout out your Instagram handle. And yeah, that's how that would work. Or Or read it on air. Yeah. Or read it on air. Like it'd be like shout out from Bob Jones Yeah. or thanks to Bob Jones for listening to the podcast and go follow him on Instagram at Bob Jones 34 or something like that. But yeah, by the way, that's not a real person. So yeah. Go searching for him. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I'm I'm sorry if your name is Bob Jones 34, but I'm really sorry. Yeah, I didn't check Instagram for that one. Not to my knowledge, is Bob Jones a real person? Yeah, no, yeah, but we are sorry if you are Bob Jones. So, uh, yeah, although Bob Jones, see you later, internet. See you for the next episode.